Welcome to Continuum, a podcast dedicated to your health. We'll introduce you to individuals throughout the healthcare world, from patients to providers, with a focus on inspiration and education. In this episode, we are joined by Nicole Reynolds. Nicole is a speech-language pathologist with U.S. Physical Therapy Incorporated. She joins us to discuss aphasia, a communication disorder that can result from an injury to the brain. Nicole explains the different types of aphasia, the effects on a person's ability to communicate, and how speech-language pathologists diagnose and treat aphasia. She also offers tips for communicating with an aphasic individual. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Continuum. Today we are talking aphasia or aphasia. 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 So that's Nicole, Nicole Reynolds, and she is our guest today, and she is actually here to discuss with us aphasia. I'm going to actually turn it over to Nicole to introduce herself, give a little bit of background, and kind of well, we'll just get right into what aphasia is and not aphasia, as I said at the top. So, Nicole, welcome, and thanks, thanks. for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, um, yes, my name is Nicole Reynolds. I'm um, a speech-language pathologist. I have my Master's of Science, and I'm a clinical competent clinician, so CCCSLP. Uh, 20 years of experience, and I'm currently working at U.S. Physical Therapy. All right. So, uh, again, thanks for joining us. So, aphasia is clearly has something to do with speech pathology, speech therapy, because you're here <laughs> to talk about it. <laughs> and so, if you could just give us the general, I guess, rundown of really what that is. Um, from, yeah, well, we're going to get into what causes it and things like that, but just in general, what aphasia is. All right. So in its very simplest form, aphasia is really a damage to the left side of the brain, which impacts speech, language, comprehension, reading and writing. Okay. So the causes are pretty much stroke, traumatic brain injury, things like that. Yeah, stroke, uh, traumatic brain injury. Um, it can be also brain tumor, or it can be some sort of neurological impairment, sometimes also infection to the brain. So okay. anything that impacts typically the left side of the brain. So right, yeah. So if you have crappy luck and something happens to the right side of your brain, you, you're probably not going to get aphasia, but you'll have something else. You'll have something else. <laughs> but okay. So it is the left side of the brain. There are different types of aphasia. Can you talk us through the different types? And I'm curious to know if like, if you have a stroke, if you're more likely to have this type, or if you have a brain injury, if you're more likely to have that type, that okay. kind of thing. So there's really three broad categories of aphasia. Um, the first is a Broca's aphasia or a non-fluent aphasia. Then there's affluent aphasia, so the most typical kind is called Wernicke's aphasia. And then you have a mixed aphasia, which is kind of a mix of both. But within each of those categories, there are really nine subcategories of oh. aphasia. So it gets a little bit complicated as you go kind of through your decision tree of fluent, non-fluent, or a mixed 
Okay. Of Asia. And so. of course, all this starts with an eval, and then it's it becomes a well mild rabbit hole. If right. You will. Exactly. Um, exactly. So when we're looking at assessing somebody with aphasia, yeah, when you first have a stroke, there's really three things that you're looking for. So the first thing is fluency. So in terms of their speech, do they have fluent speech? Can they put words together in, you know, a comprehensive kind of sentence? Okay. The second thing you're looking for. So once you say, are they fluent or non-fluent? That kind of takes you down one side of the decision tree or the other side of the decision tree. The second thing that you look for is comprehension. So can people understand what you're saying? So you could have somebody who's non-fluent but still has some sort of comprehension. You could have somebody who is fluent and have still some comprehension. So, again, that takes you down the next side of the decision tree. How do you determine whether someone's comprehending? Maybe that's a simple question. I don't know. Yeah. So, basically, it's can they follow simple directions or okay. how much How okay. much are they understanding? So, you start with simple directions, yes, no, You know, touch your nose, gotcha. touch your ear. Okay. And then you get more complicated. So um, asking more complicated multi-step directions. Okay. Like make a souffle. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Make a souffle. Because everybody knows how to do that. Because everybody knows how to do that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Okay. And and then there is the third. And then the third thing that you're looking for is can they repeat? So Ah. repetition is a big um, portion in deciding you know, what kind of aphasia they have. So if I say the word dog, can you say dog? And then it gets more complicated. So can you repeat single word, multi-word sentences, phrases? Um, And then there's also an aspect of reading and writing that can come into that when you're assessing. So can you read and comprehend? Can you read and repeat? Can you write something that I'm saying? So there's a lot of different, a lot of different factors. Do they bother with like inflection and things like that? Like, now you say it like WNBC, WNBC. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, I mean you're looking at affect for sure, but it, that's probably not the sure the biggest thing that you're looking for because you know communication affect is good, but you're really looking for comprehension and expression. What do some of the so let's let's just maybe go with the first rabbit hole. so what are some of the treatment options what does that therapy kind of look like for someone in that court so there's a lot of different treatments depending on how the patient presents and and your and your assessment right so so it's every aphasic patient is like a snowflake everybody's everybody's a little bit different so you want to you can categorize people but they don't necessarily it's not like every Broca's patient is exactly the same. Every Wernicke's patient is exactly the same. So that's where those, can they repeat? Can they comprehend? Can, you know, they read and write? Then that really directs your treatment. Yeah. So, you know, and then there's the severity. So on the lower end of the severity scale, you have somebody who has, let's say, something like an anomic aphasia. So they just have trouble with word recall. So it's like that tip of the tongue. Like, I I know what I want to say. I just can't find the right word. Yeah. I know that feeling really well, unfortunately. <laughs> and it happens, <laughs> it happens to all of, of us at the best of times. So College. that's my excuse. So therapy treatment for that person may be rote, um, naming tasks. So what is okay. this? 
it's a dog, it's a cat. So a lot of times you'll see people who have flashcards in front of them and are just practicing the word. Now, the great thing with people with anomic aphasia is that their ability to comprehend, their ability to read and write is really relatively unaffected. So they may have cards on the front and on the back it has the name of it. So they can very well practice on their own um, after they do a little bit of speech therapy. I see. So for someone like that, it would be, it would look very different from someone who let's say has on the total other end of the spectrum is a global aphasia, which they have impaired ability to speak, impaired ability to understand, impaired ability to read and write. And so that would look very different yeah. in terms of what you would do. With so them. they're hanging out are they, and they're, and that's tip, still outpatient in generally speaking, or would someone like that be, I mean, do they do this kind of thing in inpatient rehab? Yeah. I mean, depending on what other, what other sure, issues yeah. are, are yeah. happening. So, you know, people who have severe stroke who tend to be on this global aphasic side tend to do a lot of inpatient first because there's yeah. probably some physical right aspect that they're getting treated as well but yeah definitely in definitely an outpatient so they're not just doing flashcards; they're doing a whole gamut of things again right we know case by case but generally speaking if we have global right if you have global aphasia probably the the most popular or one of the most popular treatments is um called that oh so it's vision action therapy it's actually a hierarchy of 12 different steps that somebody with global aphasia could potentially go through. And it's starting with simple, simple words. And then again, and then building and building up. And a lot of programs that you see with aphasics are like a hierarchy of steps. So, um, there's a, a treatment called melodic intonation therapy, and that's taking music, which is tends to help be housed in your right side of your brain uh-huh. and pairing that with the impairment on the left side of the brain. And they start with singing. So singing singing simple words, moving to phrases, sentences, and then as somebody becomes more comprehensive, you know, starts to um, lessen their issue, then you pull back on the sing-song part of the therapy and it turns more into regular speech. And Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of different things for aphasics, but the biggest thing is getting therapy early. Um, because there's a very defined window, um, of spontaneous recovery, what you're going to recover on your own without therapy, and then what you're going to recover with therapy. And that window tends to be anywhere between 12 and 24 months. So after two years, research, research has shown you'll still be recovering some aspect of your language, but probably not as much as you did in, in the first okay. 24 months oh, after having your stroke. Huh. So there's a sweet spot. There is definitely I mean, a sweet spot. One to two years, but still, I mean, I, I would imagine if you're And again, it, depends on hands. the severity. Yep. Yeah. And if, if you've got a good therapist who's got a lot of experience with dealing with aphasia, so. And so is this, uh, is, is aphasia, well, I, I guess that's a tough question because strokes can happen, as far as I know, anywhere in the brain i mean we've had pawn strokes survivors on on this show you can even have people who have younger people who have a tia or transient ischemic attack and end up having word finding issues immediately right after that but then they recover that really quickly and maybe may not need therapy at all so is and is that due more to their age like a younger 
a body just can kind of uh, repair quicker than maybe an older person? Is there is there a correlation there? I guess uh, not necessarily. I think it oh. really depends on the um, you know the health, the medical history of the patient, sure. the severity of where exactly in the brain yeah. it happened. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of factors. I mean, we are seeing younger people having stroke for whatever reason. Hmm. Um, I think a lot of the health of our population has to do with that. A lot of the foods that we eat, yeah. you know, inactivity, people not being as active. So definitely encouraging people to get out, be active, yeah. you know, getting our kids 60 for 60, yeah. <laughs> that whole thing. So, yeah, it's, um, it's funny. We've done, we've done a number of episodes and, and it's, that's definitely a common thread through a lot of things is, is proper diet and activity. Yep. Right. Get so, off the couch, put the video games away, yeah. put the cell phone down. Yeah. It, it, it really is. And, and unfortunately in, in America we have uh, eating for entertainment is such a popular thing. <laughs> it It's like to the point where I don't think most people realize the, the idea of eating for entertainment. Right. And I wouldn't get too far off the topic, but I mean, that's, Often, as as I've just said, it's oftentimes the root of a lot of the things we talk about right. on this podcast. Well, and you'll see that people who have strokes who have been healthy prior to a stroke yeah. tend to recover better than people who have been sedentary sure. and can't can't be active. So yeah. definitely yeah, it's, has it's, something to do with it. It's it's one thing I think it's you know, when we when we try and eat right and work out, it's I think I, I know my head immediately goes, oh, I want to look a certain way. But, you know, there's mental health. And then, as you just pointed out, if you get dealt a card that where you're where you have a serious injury, it's just going to help. It's just going to help right. you bounce back. I had a friend of mine who is in his 50s and ended up with throat cancer, but he really takes good care of himself. And it wasn't looking good. But because mm-hmm. I, I you have to. I think you could easily connect the dots that he took really good care of himself and now he, he's still with us and he, you know, and it's, um, and knowing your family history, I think is good too. If you've got a family history of people who have had stroke, chances are you may, you know, you may be susceptible to also having stroke. So just knowing that and then preparing your, you know, mental wellness and your body for that definitely goes a long way. And if you're going to go out there and play and have a good time, and stay active. Make sure you wear a helmet on your bike because that can <laughs> that can cause a patient Listen, too. <laughs> I can tell you a very scary story when my husband and I were living in Colorado and a bunch of our high school kids that we coached snuck onto a ski slope one night and were tubing and one of our kids oh. went headfirst into a tree and she became one of my patients. Really? And um suffered a massive brain injury and the only reason she did as well as she did was because she was an athlete. Okay. And, you know, she was able to recover probably 80% of what she what she lost. But she's, you know, she's a fully functioning adult now. But awesome. she's definitely living with some limitations. And, yeah. Um, and so it's be safe, whether right. you're skiing, biking, any kind of head trauma definitely so, so in has her, an impact. So in her case, so this is good because now we, we kind of can talk about a, an actual case. Obviously, she was in acute care. And then mm-hmm. did she go to inpatient rehab first or was she in long-term acute care? How, yeah. What was her continuum of care? And, 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 and where I'm going with this is 
where did she start getting her uh, speech therapy, her aphasia therapy within the sweet spot that won the two year period? So right after her accident, she was in inpatient for quite a while. She had some physical issues also. Um, But her, her speech therapist um, started with her, within the first 24 hours. Really? Yeah. Okay. As soon as she could open her eyes, it was, let's get her assessed. What can she understand? What can she say? And then let's start developing a plan. Right. So she had, um, I think at least three weeks of inpatient therapy. She was in the hospital for quite some time. Um, she couldn't go to school, back to school right away. She was a senior in high school or junior in high school. Um, and she couldn't go back to school right away, so I actually would go to her house, okay. and we would do continue her treatment, you know, at home. And then when she finally came back um, as a senior to start her senior year, she made it back to start her senior year. Oh, nice! And um, Good we job. just we continued to do stuff in school, and mm. but you know it was modifying her educational program. I mean, everything needed to be modified. We had to do things with her friends, you know, to teach them how to communicate with her better because they didn't, you know, understand. Ask a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old to, you know, communicate with an aphasic 16 or 17-year-old. They have no idea. Right. And so So, now I I now have more questions on this. So the clinical team assessing her because she was aphasic. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Was that due to... Did she get her head more on the left side? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she had a left side brain injury, okay. went went into the tree with the left side of her head. Wow. Okay. And so then, you know, we established more at the top. This, this is sort of three areas, general areas. Yep. So she was like like the third, like global kind of thing? Or? She wasn't a global aphasic. She okay. was She was more of a fluent aphasic. Okay. So she had... She had um, a Wernicke's aphasia, aphasia. So she was able to talk, even though sometimes her speech was nonsensical. She uh, would think she was saying the right words, but she uh, wasn't. And what's um, that called? It's someone's it's last a, name, I'm assuming. It's a a, a Wernicke. Wernicke. Okay. Named for the researcher. Okay. Well, yeah, you, you, you'd assume. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so she, her comprehension was definitely impaired. Uh. So you would be saying things to her and she would be looking at you like, um, what are you saying to me? Yeah. But then she would try to respond and her speech would kind of be fluent, but mm. really not making sense. So yeah. it's a matter of. With know. her recovery and her therapy, is it, is it linear or are we, you know, for, we make a, a few steps forward and then maybe we go is there any regression with this i guess uh, is where I, I'm, I'm going i mean in her case there's definitely peaks and valleys okay um and i think that's with most aphasic patients you're going to see so much spontaneous recovery right after the accident sure. and then it's kind of you might not see as much and then you may see a spike so i think that there's okay. a lot of peaks and valleys and again it all comes down to where in the brain severity of the brain Everybody's a snowflake, so it happens yeah. a little bit different for everybody. But for her, she luckily she was able to recover a lot of her ability in the la- in the first you know two years. Cool. Um, she went on to college. Wow. You know, got her degree. She's married. Awesome. You know, she's got a full full life. Um, but she definitely makes some accommodations for the things that she has difficulty with. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, she's really lucky. Helmets, Extremely kids. lucky. Helmets, helmets, helmets. Yep. Yeah. I mean, speaking of her day-to-day life, mm-hmm. what are some things that she, that she may have issues with? Her and her husband go out to eat. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about some general, right. general tips here. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I think in dealing with anybody who has aphasia is, number one, remembering just because they either have a difficulty finding words or understanding what you're saying, they're not dumb. Right. It's not a it's not a measure of intelligence, and I think a lot mm. of people um, get that confused. You have a head injury, and now all of a sudden you're not as smart as you used to be. Totally not sure. true. Sure. Um, so I think just always remembering that you're always talking to a person who's got some amount of atel- intelligence <laughs> right. is always good. And um, the other thing I think is a common misperception is they're not hearing impaired. So you always see people yelling. At right. people who have aphasia as if making your voice louder is going to make them mm. understand better. So I would say now, what about, don't do that. What about cadence of speech, though? I mean, is that something to consider or does that not matter either? Yeah, no, definitely. I think keeping keeping it simple. Okay. Um, you know, talking at a normal rate, talking at a normal volume definitely helps, but not getting overly complicated. And again... You know, you're the judge of what people are understanding, and hopefully you've worked, you know, if it's your family member or a friend, you have gotten some information on what, sure. you know, what their abilities are. But I think keeping it simple. So asking, you know, yes, no questions to someone may seem simple, but may be actually more complicated because if they don't understand what yes and no is, mm. that would be a problem. Right. Instead saying, you know, do you want coffee or do you want tea? Instead of, do you want something to drink? It, right. understanding do you want something to drink while like okay first i have to think what does the word drink mean if i see coffee oh and tea yeah i'm probably understanding better oh. oh they're asking if i want something to drink and do i want coffee or tea right um using visuals definitely okay. is is helpful um again depending on what kind of a phasic you're sure. working with we often use objects to represent things Um, and being prepared, I think, you know, looking at your daily life skills. So in this young lady's case, um, what we did is we prepared a lot of, um, note cards. So Uh. when she would go into the grocery store and she would be going through the cash, you know, the cash out, she would have this card that would say, you know, I have a problem with speech. Please be patient with me. Okay, so and that's what I was... Okay, because yeah. I'm thinking like in a restaurant, like and yeah, the server comes thing. over yep. to give the specials and she's she's in a hurry. Da, 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 da. Like, right. So there's a little bit of a protocol like, hey. Yeah, like, absolutely. It, you know, it's as much as you prepare. So if you're going into the bank, giving the teller something to say, you know, I, I need to see, can you please show me mm-hmm. this as opposed to just telling me? Or can okay. you use simple questions or it may take me a little while to answer please be patient right so i think having a lot of patience being prepared um but then also trying to make sure that people with aphasia are still as independent yeah as they can be so again they're not unintelligent they can still take care of you know their own needs but they may need accommodations right i i like using this young lady as an example so like her family her husband what kind of well at that time she didn't have a husband what kind of resources and i and this is sort of 
as we wind down here, what are resources if your loved one or, or yourself, uh, once you kind of become uh, more acclimated to right. society again, what kind of resources are out there to educate on this? Um, so I think in a lot of communities, one of the biggest things that you can do is get into a community group. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of communities yeah. have support groups, and, and that's probably a really undervalued resource. Um just getting with other people who are going through the same thing, whether you're the patient, whether you're the family right. and, and sitting with people and, and sharing stories and sharing resources and things that you can do together. I think that that's probably the first, the first step. Yeah. Um, the um, American speech and language association has a lot of good resources on their website, okay. the American Great. stroke association, definitely. And then the, um, the National Aphasia Aphasia Association. Oh, see, I, you caught me. You caught me. Uh, the National Aphasia Association has a wonderful website with a lot of different resources. Oh, cool. Um, for families, you know, you can go on, you know, get tips and, um, but also you can find providers. So either through um, the ASHA website, the American Speech and Hearing Association, you can find providers in your area of of speech ther- services. So those are all great resources, and we'll have the websites listed in, in the show notes and everything like that. Nicole, thank you so much for, for coming out and talking with us about aphasia. And I really, uh, we hope that this is a, a beneficial resource for, for those of you who may have a loved one or, or you yourself have had to deal with aphasia. So uh, until next time, Nicole, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Awesome. All right, we'll see you all. Bye. Our guest today was Nicole Reynolds. To learn more about aphasia, check out the show notes on the Continuum blog at vibrahealthcare.com slash blog. If you enjoyed our conversation with Nicole, please consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to receive new episodes as they're released.